Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Motorsport magazine for the very best in motor racing. Okay, moving on, moving on. The editor is halfway through his pint of Guinness, and we are sort of halfway through this latest Motorsport Magazine podcast. We move on to Robert Gubitza. Was he the sleeping giant of the season? Well, it's often said that Lewis Hamilton fears him more than any other driver, but not in a Renault. Robert Kubica often pushed his car into the Red Bull, Ferrari, McLaren mix this year, but he could rarely maintain that challenge. It's universally agreed, though, that he can challenge for the title in a truly competitive car. But we're starting to wonder, will he ever get one of those? Nigel? Well, first of all, I'm sure he will get one of those. I think there's any doubt about that. Um, I mean, I think Kubica is sort of about as good as there is. Um, uh, I, I mean, I... Personally, I mean, I, I believe Alonso is the best, um, but I suspect that he probably Alonso probably fears Kubica like like uh, like Lewis does. Um, the remark, the thing about I, I really like Kubica. I mean, he's he's a he's he's a very nice guy, very very nice, dry sense of humour, um, and. And he appears very laid back, and and you know, in, in terms of his personality, he is very laid back. But I don't think he's laid back in terms of the the way he drives a team. Um, and I think I think he's driven Renault hard this year, and and and, it, and I think it's shown in the uh, in the results. They've got a fairly tiny budget compared with the McLarens and Ferraris, and and uh, you know, it's not a fair comparison, is it? Red Bulls and no. so on. No, as Damien said, Nigel, um, you know, it is all about having the best car. Yeah, and, it is. And would, but where, but isn't part of being a great champion getting yourself into the best car? Uh, it is, and it's also what you do with that team when you get there. I mean, I think I think we're just talking about Alonso now. I think if you look at what Alonso has done for Ferrari compared with what Kimi Raikkonen did, for instance, as a case in point, um, I think Kubica has driven Renault hard this year in the same way that Barrichello has driven Williams hard this year. And there's, there's proof positive that, you know, that the car is everything. You know, Rubens had three years wasting his time at Honda, one year of Braun... Um, and there's no question through the second half of 09 he, he certainly had the measure of, of Jensen and he won two Grand Prix and won them well um, this year he's in a Williams and he's been it's been a struggle again but look at the progress Williams have made on the, on, you know, on, the, on, the, on the back of it so a, a driver can have an immense effect on, on, on the progress of a team and I think Robert is bound in the end to finish up in a in a in a Ferrari or a, or a McLaren, um, and I think when that happens, you know the rest need to watch out. 
I just hope he doesn't have to wait as long as Jensen did to get in a competitive car. You know, Jensen had to wait 10 years for, to get his chance. I don't think he'll have to wait that long, Robert, but um, it just seems such a shame to see him not where he should be. But having said that, I do think Renault deserved some credit this year because you know, financially it's not easy for them. No, uh, no. Genie Capital have taken it over and it's been well documented that you know, they, they are strapped for cash. Mm. Um, and I think Eric Boulier has done a great job of keeping that team together. Mm. Robert Kubitz has clearly galvanised them yes. uh, on the circuit. And um, he's, you know, he's done a very, very... I mean, he, he's certainly, um, in my mind, in terms of our top ten drivers of the year, he'd be knocking on the, the door of, the, of the, the top five, even though we've got five championship contenders, because comparatively, he's been as good as anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think... I mean, I would say Kubica, um and Nico, I think. Mm. You know, I, you, there's almost, in my head, a, there's certainly a top six, which includes Kubica, and if you're going to have seven, then Rosberg. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, I think if Kubica had been in a front-running car this year, he would be going to, you know, he would be a, he would be a contender for the World Championship without any question at all. I think um, Renault also feels like quite a different team to what it has been for the last you know, few years. And I think last year, Alonso didn't put as much into it as he, well, certainly as he has with Ferrari. Because um, no. he knew he was going to Ferrari. Um, and I think the team suffered from that as well. But also this year, with Petrov as a teammate, he, he hasn't been pushed by his teammates. And so it's quite good. It puts him in a very good light because he's just so he's just completely annihilated Petrov yeah um, and uh, but you know be, I'd love to, I'd love to see him in the same car as Alonso or Hamilton and me too yeah, yeah. well I mean maybe if the uh, Malaysian Proton organisation puts a lot of money into Renault maybe in oh no sorry we're not predicting next year sorry right <laughs> okay now uh, one thing I would just one point I would add about about Kubica I think um, and it's 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 almost a kind of negative thing in a way, but it but it, it truly isn't that way. He makes fewer mistakes than any of them. I think you know Jensen makes remarkably few mistakes. Robert is almost like uh, like Prost in that respect. He hardly ever screws up. Let's move um, on from Robert Kubica and Renault to Rubens Barrichello. Is he Formula One's Peter Pan? Well, Nico Hülkenberg was tipped for greatness at the start of his rookie season, but the reality has been, actually, that Formula One's most experienced driver in history led the Williams team brilliantly during this, his 18th season in the top flight. Rubens is probably driving as well as he's ever done, so how long can he go on? How much longer will we see Rubens on the Formula One grid? Um... Nigel, I, th- I think we're all fans of Rubens, aren't we? Yeah, uh, you know, I, th- I think you have to be. I mean, um, uh, I can't remember where it was now, but I, w- I remember a race that when he was not prevented from winning in his Ferrari days, and he won the race, and I remember bumping into Brundle in the paddock about half an hour after the race, and big, big smile on Martin's face, and he just said, proper bloke wins Grand Prix. And I think that's everybody's perception of him. He is a, he is a you know he is a proper bloke. Um, he's you know he's 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 in many ways uh, even though he's been around all these years and God knows 
you know, he's writing his autobiography at the moment, and if he, if he writes everything he knows, it could be a most interesting volume. But yet, somehow, he remains in a kind of way curiously innocent. And his love of Grand Prix racing and, and, and simply driving these cars is... He, he says even greater now than when, than when he started and, I, and you know and I, I believe him um, Sam Michael Williams technical director has worked with some pretty good drivers in his time um, and, and he told me this year that he said Rubens is the best Formula 1 driver I've ever worked with and how he hasn't been world champion two or three times, I will never well, understand. Well, I think we partly know the answer to that question, don't we? Well, yeah. I, think, I think we do. <laughs> the Maranello years, certainly. But um, but I think he, you know, uh, you say how long will he go on. Um, at his age, you know, drivers tend to reach a point when people don't employ them anymore. And, you know, you think, look, what, people, sort of 41-ish? Well, yeah. well un- unless you are. Uh, <laughs> but... It happened to Gerhard Berger, it happened to Jean Lazy, people like, you know. Um, and it could could easily happen to him. And, you know, for the first time in a long time, Williams have looked like a, you know, a proper team. I'm not just talking about Hulkenberg's pole in, in Brazil. I mean, they've made big, big progress on a tiny budget. Well, what do you think of uh, Hulkenberg? There have been flashes of, wow, you know, where's he come from? You know, you suddenly see his P5 in qualifying and that sort of thing. Um, he's, but you know, he's 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 crashed a lot. Um, I wasn't impressed at all with the way he drove against Weber in uh, at Monza, for instance. You know, some of the things he did to keep him back. I mean, very reminiscent of Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he probably is close to the complete package. You know, with a few more few more years behind him, he just needs to be. He needs to be able to progress with you know with 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 decent teams. I would hate to see him sort of, you know, pitched into a, a you know a, a poor drive for reasons of you know sponsorship and nothing else. I, I think nowadays without any testing, you know, it's so I think it's so difficult to expect these rookies to come in. You've seen it with Petrov, we've seen it with Hulkenberg, and you know they. they they hardly get any time in the car compared to five years ago. And so you've, you've got to expect them to make mistakes. And really, with new teams, all they give them are a few races. And then from then on, they expect them to be you know, in the points or not crashing. And I think it's really sad to see some of the drivers come in and have a slight... Like Petrov, I think he's a good driver. Hmm. I, actually, I've felt quite sorry for Petrov. And I think... I, uh, whoever was saying earlier on about Eric Boulier has done a very good job this year. He certainly has. I, I've, I've been impressed. But I think I think he's probably spoken a little bit too much about, well, we might keep Petrov, we might not. Mm. Well, we'll see how he goes. Well, you know, he's, he needs to qualify better. Well, if he gets a few points. And I think that's just multiplied the pressure on uh, on Petrov. And I've, I've felt quite sorry for him. Because yeah. I, I think he is... A pretty pretty handy driver. I think in Hulkenberg's case, that would probably account for the the Monza um, performance because he's got to take his chances, and that was a great chance in front of everyone to try and stay in front of Weber. And I think he overstepped the mark, but it's hardly surprising given rookie driver, as, as Ed quite rightly says, so little time in the car. Absolutely, and look where they've all learned their lessons, you know. Okay, well, we could talk about all these things forever and ever and ever, couldn't we? In fact, we could probably talk about them until the pub opens again. Um, the pub's, the ram here in Chelsea in London has gone very quiet. 
Uh, most people are probably back at work, I guess. Okay, moving on again. Um, the new teams. Well, it's uh, it's been a talking point this year, that's for sure. But have they been wasting their time? Lotus, Virgin, and Hispania achieved what USF1 could not achieve by making it to the grid in Bahrain and surviving their first seasons. Although in Hispania's case, making it to Abu Dhabi was far from a foregone conclusion. Now, all three teams have to justify their places in Grand Prix racing by climbing off the bottom rungs of the ladder. But can they do it? Uh, Damien, let's start with you. Eh? I think, first of all, uh, they all deserve credit for getting enough one team uh, up and running from a standing start because it's, uh, everyone knows how hard it is these days. Lotus and Virgin have clearly done a much better job than Hispania. The Hispania thing has been really not really worthy of Formula One in 2010. It, it reminded me a little bit of uh, the old days of the early 90s when you get these, these uh, start-up teams come from nowhere, uh, not do very much except embarrass themselves and disappear. Now, Hispania is still there, but they haven't featured in any way for me. I mean, the whole Delara thing was... was uh, very confusing and I th- I'd imagine very damaging for Delara because they pulled out of the project before the season even began the car was labelled a Delara and they got a lot of criticism for not being not being good enough but um, they were hardly had any involvement after building the car so all in all it's been quite a damaging experience I would have thought Bruno Senna not great for him in terms of his future prospects um, but I think the Lotus and Virgin story is more interesting that they've been uh, nip and tuck for a lot of the year in terms of being the the best of the new teams. Lotus, I think, um, would you agree, Nigel, they've, they've, edged, they've certainly edged it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But what a long way to go for both of them. Yeah, I, th- I think really the, the, um, the interesting thing is they've, they haven't really significantly closed the gap, have they? No, that's the trouble, isn't it? And we started off with sort of a four or five second a lap difference to the front of the grid, which is... Jesus, you know, it's a lifetime. It was like a GP2 Formula, car. Formula One terms, and there were races when, yeah, particularly when the you know the um, HRTs or Hispanias or whatever we we call them were qualifying slower than the GP2 cars, and you think how can that happen? I mean, for a start, you know, they've got to load more horsepower. How can they be slower than? So, I, I mean, I'm. I, I'm I'm probably um, I'm probably quite harsh when it comes to um, backmarker teams, and I always have been. Um, and I there have been races this year when you know the sort of serious end of the grid has been trying to find its way around um, the HRTs or whatever, and I just honestly think there are thundering nuisance maybe what it maybe what it has told us which okay we knew already but has reminded us big time is just how fantastically difficult it is to win a grand prix yeah never mind a championship no and i would not for a moment support the likes of hispania you know although as damien says all credit to them for getting going but the difference in resources from one end of the grid to the other is is is, is light years. Isn't yeah, it? I, I, light years. I went up with um, Trevor Collin the other day, and uh, he's going to be racing in GP two next year. And I said, you know, is this, you know, a sort of uh, um, before before stepping into Formula One? He said, absolutely not. He said, how could a team like us ever compete with Ferrari and McLaren? He said, it's taken them decades and billions and billions of dollars. 
and he said, you know, you can't. And he said, the nature of the game is that these, you know, a couple of the smaller teams on the back of the grid will change hands on an annual basis and things like that. And I think the problem with Hispania was, I was talking to Bruno Senna, and he he was saying that Delora did a good job, but the fact that there was just zero development, he said, it just crippled them. And so then, you know, that started being blamed on the dollar, and that that wasn't the case. I think it's interesting that 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 um, you know, I I I take Nigel's view about back market teams, but what 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 to me has been much more disappointing than Hispania or Virgin has been Lotus, and I only say that because they're constantly talking up the car and the team, and yet nothing happens. Well, I think Lotus gave up. I think you know, Mike Gascoigne said them, and Lotus gave up development of this car long long ago um, and all their thoughts are on 2011 and they'll have a Renault engine and etc etc it's going to be I mean Lotus do show signs of you know of, of, of aspiring to becoming a, you know a serious a serious team um, I, I remember interviewing Bernie about 15 years ago um, and at that time there were one or two uh, little teams and Bernie had say Bernie had no interest in them didn't make a start on it he just this thought essentially they were a nuisance and he wished they'd go away and compete in a formula where they could be competitive um, and if you think about I mean fundamentally you know we have these three new teams because of the situation that arose with, with Max Mosley and his you know capping costs and Budgets when it was, how, how budget was going to be what thirty million, then mm. forty million, then it mm. got increased a bit more, and all the rest of it. And lots of cosmetics. And these, and, yeah, and these teams, yes. And this is when the whole thing looked like possibly splintering apart. Um, and the official FIA Formula One World Championship not having too many uh, competing cars. So I think. Um, I think they sort of came into it thinking that these that the costs were going to be much lower than they have turned out to be. Um, whether they would do the same now, uh, knowing what they know now, I I, I wonder. I think but but you, Bernie just thought uh, he used to call them start line specials. I don't like these start line specials. Well, I think a good comparison is MotoGP, in the sense that you'd have thought if ever you needed a big grid, it'd be in motorcycles because motorcycles are smaller, and yet MotoGP has a very small grid, and the racing is unbelievably exciting. I don't, so I don't think numbers are the thing, are they? Well, I, th- I think that's motorbike racing, and in general, it's an extremely exciting race to watch, and I think having 10 Formula 1 cars going around a track is not my idea of a good race. Maybe not 10. Even if they're off the pace, I prefer them to be there than not. Bernie was always quite happy with having 20 good cars uh, and I can't really see a problem and he always said you know we're in the quantity quality business not the quantity business and I can't tell you honestly I've been aware of there being half a dozen more cars in Formula 1 this year than than, than last year it's, I've, I've been quite surprised how much it's been a second division so uh, the jury's out really on, and uh, we, we think Lotus is, is, has great potential Yep, would that be a fair I think Lotus is in the best position yes. to, uh, with 
with Gascoigne's setup that he's got there, the Renault engines, the, the Red Bull um, drivetrain for next year, it, it all sounds promising. Um, and uh, Virgin is less of a, a known quantity because they go about things in a very different way with this the CFD technology which they've they've put so much uh, onto. And um, we'll see what the future brings for them. I'd, I yeah. think I'll be interested to see how long Richard Branson stays with it because. It's well, people I, like him aren't used to losing. Uh, no, they, he's not. But on the other hand, it's not costing him anything. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, historically, you know, um, Branson likes maximum publicity for minimum outlay, doesn't he? I mean, as we saw from Braun in um, in '09. Um, so I think he may, he may, you're right. He, he he won't like being associated with uh, with lack of success. Um, but on the other hand, as I say, it. It does splash the name about, and it is—it's it's the other people who are paying. Well, I, th- I think discussing Sir Richard Branson's business modus operandi is a very good time to move on, um, and uh, to the to what I consider to be the talking point of all talking points of this season, and that is the season itself, because you know uh, we need to look, don't we, guys, at what has made, what are the elements that have come together to make this so exciting. Um, I suppose, you know, Formula 1 2010 will remember as one of the best in history. Um, Nigel's a good judge of that. But is Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The quality of the racing as good as it should be. Um, Nigel, can we just take a look at what we have this year that we didn't have in 2009 or what we don't have that we did have? Well, simply what we don't have is refueling. You know... Bahrain, the first race, was probably one of the half-dozen most boring races I've ever, ever been to in my life. And I remember at the airport, we all got planes at about 2 on the two o'clock in the morning on the, that night. And I remember at the airport, you know, it was sort of such a hue and cry about, oh, God, well, what have we done? Oh, jeez, oh, you know, it's, we have... And there was panic. We, what, we've got to change it. We've got to do... What do we do? Do we bring back the refueling? Do we... Do, um, and Bernie, fortunately, was very sanguine about it and just said, let it settle. Uh, and, and, and eventually the hysterics calmed down. And, you know, and thank God they did. 
because once it did settle down, everything was at Bahrain. In Bahrain, everybody was ultra-conservative because they'd nobody, nobody had any real clue how long tyres were going to last on a f- full fuel tank and everything else. So everybody was ultra, ultra-conservative. Once it settled down, I, I think we had a fantastic season. I always thought refueling was a complete waste of time anyway because essentially all it did was keep the cars in more or less qualifying spec the whole time and so the sprint for 20 laps stop new tires fuel bit more fuel car was always light always on relatively fresh rubber and nothing ever happened and weren't we all surprised i, I think w- one of the reasons as well is just because we, there are so many competitive teams um and good drivers you can't really fault it i mean i think the, the um some of the drivers have professed frustrations that once a race starts there's not much they can do on strategy um, because they've got what they've got. Uh, without, you know, you could you could pit early for uh, for for more fuel or try and stretch it out later, or whatever. But um, uh, I think, in, in essence, we've got Grand Prix racing back again, as it as it was historically meant to be. Because there has always been an endurance element to, to Grand Prix racing. It isn't it isn't sprint racing. Um, and although the, you know, it's interesting that in the in the age of the um, where TV matters more than anything else that we should we should actually end up going back uh to a more traditional form of, of grand prix racing and i think it's worked brilliantly i mean that bahrain race i was as worried as everyone mm. but um i didn't need to be did I? how many there's been very few dud races this year most of them have been interesting in one form or other yeah absolutely and i, I think we, it, the thing about the ban on refueling what it's what it's done is for the first time in a long time it's made tires important again tire wear important again and how you treat your tires uh, which really wasn't a factor at all you know for like 15 20 years and i think if you throw in the fact that we've had three companies have managed to make almost comparably competitive cars okay it's red bull red bull has has a, dis- a discernible advantage but ferrari and mclaren are thereabouts um and also it's the best now i think is the best crop of uh, of drivers we've had since the mid late 80s damien's right you c- you can't be anything but positive about 2010 can you uh, i can't remember being so i can't remember looking forward so much to a race for I, for a long time i still think they need to sort out not being able to follow a car closely They're, you're never going to sort that it's grand prix racing but they've got to do something to help it because you can see people closing in like half a second a lap a second a lap get to within that 2 seconds gap and it's like hitting a brick wall it's very hard to turn back time on this though isn't it you know you can't um deny the fact that the last 20 years have happened and that we 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 have to live with aero um even if they uh vastly reduce the size of the wings like they did in beginning of 2009 uh the teams find a find a way around it and there's such clever people in formula one i think you're always going to live with this and actually I think there's been there's been quite a bit of overtaking this year mm. um okay some some tracks make it harder than others but overall i think the, the balance is in pretty good and to be fair to cyber ed they have found a way of doing this that he's called kamui kobayashi mm-hmm. um yeah I, we'd all like to see more overtaking wouldn't we but i'm sure nigel would agree with me i think he would anyway that you know we never there never was a time when we saw huge amounts of overtaking Grand Prix racing, on a you know regularly, was there? No, you're probably right. You're probably right, but certainly more than there is now. Certainly, certainly more, more than there, than there, more than there has been in this era. Yeah. Um, and it, and it is it's purely because of you know because of aerodynamics. Um, I mean, which 
if you let me momentarily just go back to the Hockenheim thing with Massa and Alonso, you know, Alonso is a quicker driver than Massa. No question. I don't think anybody in the world would argue with that. They were identical cars. But, Matt, but Alonso, being a quicker driver, didn't mean that he was able to overtake a slower teammate. So what can be done about it? Do, do any of us know? Well, it seems to me... <sighs> well, getting concentrate on getting, getting some of the downforce, more of the downforce from, you know, go, if you like, go back to ground effect to a degree so that the, you know the downforce is created by you know by sort of by tunnels if you like under the car rather than this endless reliance on wings and you know and and hideous winglets and and uh, and, and that sort of thing I mean do you say Damien you say you know we, we we can't turn the clock back we can't go back in time but on the other hand this is this is a pretty important uh, element, isn't it? Uh, I mean, r- there is no racing without overtaking. So surely, somebody somewhere has to come up with a solution. Yes, they do. Uh, and I guess um, the frustrating thing was there was a, this technical uh, working group, the overtaking working group that was created. Um, that a lot of good work was done, but then you get a team come in with a double diffuser. And all that work was undone in terms of um, creating more overtaking. There's always going to be uh, someone coming up with something that will create dirty air that will make it difficult for cars to follow each other. Um, and I, I think in the next few years we're going to see more and more change because you've got the new engine regulations coming in 2013. There needs, there's, there's, there's regulation changes on the way, which we may see an improvement. But um, as I say, I think that... Um, I think the balance isn't too bad. You get certain races like Monza this year. Monza's very hard to overtake. That was still a thrilling Grand Prix, even though there's no overtaking, because the battle between Alonso and Button, there was nothing between them at all. And that, for me, was was exciting. Um, OK, they weren't dicing, passing each other, going into the chicanes, but um, uh, it's still Grand Prix racing. And, um, you know, I don't think it's as big a problem as it's sometimes made out to be. I, I think from an entertainment point of view, it is a big problem. Um, because I think if you don't have people fighting for the lead, i.e., passing and repassing, then it's not a race. It's not. It's not thrilling. It's not. My God, who's going to be? You know, will he get by? Well, no. It's well, we know he won't get by. That's true. I think the only thing is, Rob. I don't think it should ever be easy. That's the point. And I remember that era on the super speedways in the in the kart days when they had the Hanford wing. Do you remember that? Mm. Which was palpably absurd because you get two cars having a hell of a race at a place like Michigan place like Michigan but you knew that A would pass B exactly there every lap and and B would repass exactly there every lap and so it ceased to mean anything and one last thing um you know it's easy to criticize the circuits some of the circuits are better than others we know that um i would say there are examples this year where you think um the new Silverstone was a really good new Grand Prix circuit, the new the new infield section, but they didn't really create an overtaking point. Um, one thing for me that I would do was, was tighten the Brooklands corner to be a much heavier braking corner so that you could try and overtake someone into there. Um, that, you know, there's always things you can do to the circuits to try and, try and improve things. Um, I'm not saying it's not a problem. I just don't think it's as big a problem as it's sometimes um, made out to be. Yeah, I mean, we all want we all want to see Grand Prix racing on proper tracks, don't we? <laughs> I think. So. Well, we would like to see that, yes, Rob. 
Sorry, sorry. We, we, <laughs> I thought we, you we would. Me. We would like to see that, Rob. Yes, yeah. <laughs> a great many of them becoming increasingly unused. Yes, they are uh, very, very depressing. Uh, hobby horse for Mr. Roback and I. This one. Um, okay. Let's move on again. We're nearly uh, through our review of the season, but we can't uh, leave it without talking about the F-duct. McLaren's uh, aero innovation, which allowed drivers to control the airflow to the rear wing down the straight. And this, of course, was in the very best tradition of clever thinking in Formula One. Other teams copied it, but the fact that few made it work highlighted just how brilliant it was. Typically, it's been banned for 2011. But is it right uh, do we think for the FIA to constantly peg back inspired engineering well it's that sort of leads on from where we just were doesn't it I think the um, you know Formula 1 is such a good forum for you know the technical side of it and I find that really exciting but I mean the problem with the F-duct we saw with Alonso at one point getting to a corner he had both his hands off the steering wheel which you know is not a great situation and he sure enough he ran wide and missed the apex and things which you know is is basically what you know what you had to do to work the F-Tact. You had to have at least one of your hands off the steering wheel, and so that's not a particularly safe position to be in. But you know, so this one I think is I think they should have banned. But you know, I would like to see more a bit more freedom in the rules for technical innovation. The problem you got is variables make good good racing, and the more variables you add in, um, the more chance you got of cars being unequal. Who who actually wants equal cars? Because you have equal cars, you just you just get a procession, um, and that's why Formula One is never going to should never be a one make formula because you want people coming up with alternatives and and uh, being encouraged to do so. And it just seems to me that sometimes uh, Formula One is just too restrictive. And I think the engineers, you know, would welcome. Uh, obviously, you've got to keep keep control of costs. We all understand that. Um, and it's always been the case that you come up with something and then the FIA ban it. It's always that 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 na- yeah, and that's the nature of the sport trying to contain it. But uh, it just seems to me a shame to just do a, a point blank ban of something when it, as soon as it comes in that there's not a way of actually encouraging uh, innovation more. Well, it's funny. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. funny listening to you talking about it because I, I seem to remember Pat Simmons saying that you know. Formula One uh, regulations were so proscriptive these days as almost to be uh, absurd because there was no room for creativity like we see from people like Pat Simmons and uh, particularly Adrian Newey and in the old days from Gordon Murray. So surely surely we've got... Never mind banning stuff. um, There's virtually no room to introduce innovation, is there? No, I... Um, no, I think, and also one of the things that you get out of this is the look of the cars, you know, and the you know the new cars, the, the the look has grown on me. But if you took all the paintwork and the sponsors off these cars, I say there's a very very small percentage of people who could tell one from the other, and most of those would have been the ones who designed them. And I think that's really sad. And, you know, the days of differently shaped Grand Prix cars are, are long gone, sadly. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. And I think you know the other thing, it, it's all very well to say to think back to the sort of you know the days of Gordon Murray and and huge innovation and all the rest of it and I agree I mean I loved all that too but it's very 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 potentially very expensive and you know and and what what are we short of at the moment well what are we short of I mean I read in the newspaper and in a in a proper newspaper this was that Red Bull Racing 
Formula One team had spent £157 million sterling on Formula One last year, 2009. Pricey business. Well, my, my point is, um, is that for the top teams, um, this business of money is a problem. It's just not true. I mean, yeah, I'm sorry. If, if money was a problem, you don't spend between 150 and heaven knows how, how much other noughts million dollars on, on Formula One racing. But if, you, if you had no restrictions, you'd have three teams on the grid. That's, that is, yeah, you're right, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. But there's a balance. That, that, that's, yes, I think that's what I yes, think we'd all agree is yes, there's, a, there's a balance yes. somewhere which uh, they need to reach where they allow engineers' scope to be innovative without... And I'm not saying I've got all the answers here because it's not easy <laughs> no, to no, solve. No, 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 but, no, no. Uh, anyway, we, you see, well, we're losing the F-duct next year, but we are, of course, getting curves back. Yeah. Okay, and and Pirelli tyres, something completely different. Yep. Well, yep. still tyres, but you know yep. what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. <coughs> um, well, we are just about through, um, which is probably a good thing because there's no one else in the Ram pub anymore except us. Um, we were going to talk, Mr. Editor, were we not, in closing about Jean Todd? Yeah, one of the points about this season, I think, which has been really refreshing, is I think it's the least political season we can remember the only real big controversy of the year uh, really was the team orders um, thing of, of, with Ferrari at Hockenheim but apart from that there's been very little and I mean Todd has had an incredibly low profile this year um, and we all feared that he would um, it would be more of the same after Max Mosley and it hasn't been at all we should have probably with hindsight recognised that he's his own man and he wouldn't be he would do things his own way, and sure enough, um, I think he's. I think he's been great the way that he's been working behind the scenes. I think you know not everyone likes the way he he does things. Not everyone likes what he's doing behind the scenes, but it's been refreshing from a from a, uh, a public point of view and from the fans' point of view that we've actually been able to concentrate on what matters this year. I think one of the very telling moments was immediately after Hockenheim. Um, you know, there were quotes from hundreds of people, but I did not see one from Todd. Whereas Mosley would have been right in there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in a way, you could say Tot was in a kind of embarrassing position there because it was really only because of his actions at Ferrari with Schumacher and Barrichello that the, the ban on team orders had, had come in in the first place. So he was, he was in a bit of a, a sort of tenuous position at the time. But I, I, I must say, I mean, I agree with everything Damien said. I think he's... I think, I mean, I feared because Max Mosley was so strongly behind him um, and almost daring, you know, anyone to vote for anybody else. Uh, I did have my fears that we were in for uh, more of the same. But in point of fact, I mean, from everything I hear, you know, um, uh, Mosley and his uh, cohorts, many many of whom I have to say are no longer at the FIA, um, have been uh, somewhat disappointed with uh, with Tot's behaviour this year, which many would say can only be a good thing I, I do think that Mr Roebuck is at his most entertaining when he's being as careful as he can be I, I do I do lie, I do enjoy it and I, but I, I think the whole situation is extremely worrying I, I, I take entirely the opposite view about, about Mr Tot's virtual silence and low profile I mean I'd like to see his notebooks and I'd like to hear the tapes of his dictaphone because what worries me is what has he been doing all year, he's and been, what, he's been and doing a great deal, Rob. Uh, well, he's okay, been doing and a great what, deal. Yeah, yeah. That's well, what that's he ha- what he hasn't done is scream and shout about it every no. other day, which is what we become used to. Okay, fine. But when are we? When are the results of his research 
and what are they going to be? When will we see them and what are they going to be? I mean, I've heard that he wants to improve world rallying. I think that's fantastic news. I think his keeping out of politics this season is also great. But what? But surely the man, you know, knowing the man as we do, uh, this must be the lull before the storm, isn't it? No? Well, I think if, if I can take one little thing, something that had driven me nuts over the years was the behaviour of the stewards at the Grand Prix. Uh, because I thought they were inconsistent in their responses to things that happened on the track and sometimes, often, just plain wrong. Um, and in, in some circumstances, uh, quite sort of disturbingly so. Um, and, of course, you know, for the last few years, until the end of '09, the stewards were advised by... Uh, an FIA man who was very much Max's right-hand man. Uh, he ain't there now. Instead of which, we have a driver advising the stewards, which common sense would tell you should have been should have happened years and years and years ago. So that's might not seem a huge thing, but as far as I'm concerned, it's uh, it's not insignificant. It's very important. I mean, I, I'm not saying that I'm that I think he's going to be bad news. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just asking the question. I, I think that the thing about Jean Todd, I never liked the way he ran Ferrari. I never approved of it because it was so single-minded and focused on what was best for Ferrari. And he didn't give a damn about the sport when he was at Ferrari. It was just about the results and um, basically helping Michael Schumacher to his next world title. But the thing about Jean Todd is wh- whichever job he's doing, whether it's running... Peugeot sports cars or rally cars or Ferrari, he, um, that focus is now purely on the FIA and making the sport better and I think uh, someone with his drive and motivation um, and you know his political cunning will, will be very useful if it's directed in the right way and I think um, I'm optimistic actually that he, he's um, he's going to do the best job he can for the sport because when he goes into a job he always well, he always does the best he can yes, he does the other thing is he has a he has a complete lack of public ego hmm. No, I'm uh, not much, rather no. like Bernie, as a matter yeah, of fact, in yeah. that respect. I, I, I'm, I'm not negative about it. I'm simply wondering when we will see the results of what is, has been a year's research. And, uh, I, and uh, I don't think you'll see some big sea change. I think it will be just whichever championship he's looking at, whether it be rallying Formula One or whatever, you'll see evolution and you'll see you know gradual changes. And there'll be things going on behind the scenes in terms of who's running this and running that, and and uh, you know regulatory bodies and what have you. And just just the structure of the of, the, of how the sport is run will will change. Well, one thing we can say is that the atmosphere has improved enormously, has it not? Yes. Without a doubt. Well, that's it for 2010, everybody. I really do hope you've enjoyed these podcasts as much as we all have enjoyed making them. It's been fantastic this year, and we'll be back in 2011 with some great guests and some great chat. So thank you, everybody, for listening and for writing in with so many questions during the year. It's been a real positive experience for us here at Motorsport Headquarters, and we look forward to seeing you all in January. Bye-bye. Motorsport Magazine, for the very best in motor racing. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.